0: What's up, everybody? My name is Sam Graham-Felson. I'm Oppie Klein. And you're listening to Hey Man, the advice
1: podcast for men.
0: Our guest this week is Cleo Stiller. Cleo was the host of the acclaimed television show Sex Right Now on Fuse. uh, And she's the author of a new book called Modern Manhood, Conversations About the Complicated World of Being a Good Man Today. Cleo helped us think through uh, advice for a guy who wrote in about a problem he's been having where he drinks a lot and then says very regrettable things to his partner. I guess the, the first question we have um, is kind of similar to a question that we asked a previous guest, Liz Plank, which is, um, why did you want to write a book for men? Um, Why would you do that to yourself?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is that another way of putting it?
2: Yes. um, Well, it's a great question. And the reason is because uh, so for many years, I worked for Univision um, for their cable network fusion, and I hosted a show there called Sex Right Now with Mm -hmm. Cleo Stiller. And the show covered everything from reproductive rights to health, technology, body confidence, gender identity. Um, And over 50% of the viewers were male. Mm. So rewind now to 2017, uh, the Me Too movement, Harvey Weinstein scandal broke. um, And a lot of men who watched my show started to reach out to me on social media, and also in person, and say, are you going to do a season on this because I have so much to say about what's happening right now, but I'm afraid to say anything because I don't want to get in trouble. And also, I have a question. Like what is a good like I'm a good guy. I thought I was a good guy, but I'm single and I'm terrified to approach women. Now I don't want to wind up the next Aziz Ansari or I'm a hiring manager or I'm a manager, right? I've got a lot of hiring power and I wouldn't cop to this in real life, but frankly, I don't want to work with women. It just doesn't seem like worth the risk. Or um, I'm a new dad and I'm, I'm raising a son and I'm watching this Kavanaugh hearing trying to grapple with what it means to be a good man anymore. Yeah. What the hell do I do? Um, and these questions started rolling in. Right. And I'm like, Hell if I know, I'm just a reporter, and um, these territories in our life are really changing quite rapidly now. So I don't think that there's one right answer. So that was happening privately, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is happening in my private channels. And then publicly, I was being invited to speak or attend many events that were primarily attended by women or survivors about Me Too and um, where we wanted to go from here. And there would be these really profound, deep, important conversations happening. People sharing really important stories of their lives. And then inevitably at these events, someone would look around and be like, where are all the men? Yeah, Where are our allies? They don't care. And I knew that men do care because mm-hmm. they're writing these questions to me. So I, I saw it was like my head would explode, right? Because I've got this on one side and I've got this on the other side. Um, and no one was talking to each other.
1: You know, in, I mean, one of the things I noticed in your book and just also in my experience is like, you know, women just often seem kind of, they've spent more time thinking about all of this stuff. So they're more articulate often and are kind of landing in positions that I think are I don't know, just, they just seem more in sync with, like, uh, what we think people should think about. And, like, mm. you have, like, like you, you you give voice to, like, some men who have, like, unpleasant opinions and, like, th- like the, they're working through stuff and it's not always nice, you know? And I'm just wondering what that was like for you to, like, be hearing so much of that or, like, having to engage with it on that level.
2: Well, I did have to get really clear with myself before I started this Um I am a woman and I have a lot of feelings about everything happening right now. I I have had my own experiences, which I share at the end of the book. Um, But first and foremost, I really came to this project with a tremendous amount of empathy Mm -hmm. because I did understand from the questions that I was getting initially that had And again, this book was in some ways easy to write because these questions had been piling in for the past two years. And so the format was already delivered right to me, right? Mm. And I had all my sourcing pretty much because everyone (laughs) had come to me. So when I started, I thought, okay. And I wanted to call this book, by the way, it's called Modern Manhood, but I wanted to call it but I'm one of the good guys uh-huh. because I heard that over and over again, yeah. right? From guys who were like, I'm a good guy. Like this this thing that's happening is like, it, I don't get it. So I was empathetic in that I understood men were f- for the most part walking around thinking they were being good guys and everything was fine. And this was flipping their perception of reality upside down. And now they genuinely were like, wait, okay, so then in this micro situation on my day-to-day basis, like, can, do I hold the door? Like, am, can I compliment? Can I mentor my, should I offer my wife, right? Yeah. And And um, I thought, okay, what I would say is gonna be different than what you would say, different from another man down the street, and everyone has very varied opinions on what is appropriate behavior now, right? So this, the aim of this project was like, let's just air all of it. Let's get everyone to talk really openly about their experience and their questions and their reactions. And then we can kind of sort through it and... I offer a lot of historical and anthropological and neurological context to how we got here, right, and what's really going on. But ultimately, I kind of leave it to the reader to be like, "I don't agree with that guy," right. or "Hmm, I never thought of it like that."
0: Mm-hmm. What's What's an example, just um, you know, from the book of a guy doing something that people might disagree with or saying say, saying something?
2: I love him. I love I love this question because. As I said, but this is important and it's special too. I every chapter is dedicated to a different person an area of your personal life, right? Like dating, sex, work, money, parenting, friendship. And the reason I structured it like that was because all the questions I was getting, they touched every single area of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. So, each chapter is opens up with a personal story from a guy that perfectly encapsulates the conversation we're about to have in the ensuing chapter. And every single one of those stories, those guys came to me. They heard I was writing the book and they were like, "Oh, thank you because wait till you hear this story."
1: Guys love to talk. They <laughs> got opinions about stuff.
2: I'm like, <laughs> "You will not believe this story." So, I and there were several times. So, okay, let me just tell some, right? Yeah. One story um, in the work chapter was from a guy uh, down south from North Carolina. I think he worked maybe in like a paper factory, some sort of plant, right? Um, He had worked there for a really long time. And I think this guy is probably in his mid to late 40s. So again, he gets in touch. Thank God you're writing this book. You will not believe this bullshit that happened to me. So he had gone into work one day. And he saw he he saw the assistant of the CEO. Uh, She was a woman. And apparently they have like a history of like kind of off color banter. But that was just their vibe. Right. So she's eating a donut and he goes, "You better put that donut down. Otherwise, you're going to get fat and your husband's going to leave you. (laughs) And she goes, he'd never leave me. I'm too good on my knees. Wow. Whoa. So okay. (laughs) Yeah. So but for them that's kind of normal, right? So then he leaves, no big deal. Right. Fast forward a couple hours later in the afternoon, he walks into the break room, lots of people around. She is there and she's working on paperwork. And I guess she's like sucking on the pen while she's working on the paperwork. And he fires off a comment like, Oh, those must be that famous those famous oral skills that your husband's never going to leave you for Mm -hmm. thinks nothing of that Mm -hmm. and walks up Mm -hmm. next day HR calls him and is like we need to talk to you Wow! brings him in on his day off he mentioned um and is like did you say this and he was like yeah but we say that and he lost his job Mm. So this guy came to me because he was genuinely like, what the hell happened? We talk like this all the time. How? And so I tell his story in the book without any, like it's up to anyone to interpret that story how they want. Right.
1: How, how have people reacted to that story?
2: Regionally, it really makes a difference. I've huh. noticed. Um, I, and also by industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard from a lot of people that are like, it was never appropriate to make sex jokes in the office. Like and neither
1: one, like she shouldn't have done it Right, either. Like yeah,
2: she shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have done it. Like that's just like, that's just bad for him altogether. Mm-hmm. But I've heard other people who like, well, f- damn, he lost his job. I mean, like the stakes are high when your livelihood is concerned, right? Yeah. So I, I offer a story like that because even your reactions are almost like a war shock test um mm-hmm. to how you feel about many other things involving me too.
0: Right. I mean the book is is about what you call great the gray areas, the right? The gray areas. And um and it's funny like I my instinct just upon hearing the story was to like chime in and I'm like wait, I don't I actually don't want to chime into this one because I <laughs> yeah. I feel like um it is it is enough of a gray area that like um you you could be totally wrong weighing in either way. Yes. So it's like <laughs> Yes.
1: <laughs> and
2: I wanted to call the book The Gray Areas also that was my backup title. Uh-huh. Modern Manhood I'm sorry to say was my third. Um <laughs> but that's where that's where the meat of this book really lies and this is like for me the most interesting part because You know, the Harvey Weinstein, the Bill Cosby's like those are so extreme. It's just it's of course we have to cover those stories. We have to talk about them. We have to make sure they don't happen again. But for the average person who really does genuinely think they're a good person and interacting with others well these gray areas are really where we have so much work to do.
0: And the most famous example in recent times, which you talk about in the book, is Aziz Ansari. So mm. for people who just aren't super, pl- or, or even moderately plugged into pop culture, because <laughs> most people know about this, just just like give us like a brief synopsis of like what that controversy was about and how, why you bring it up in your book and, you know, and I assume like a lot of men contacted you about that particular Story, right? Because it's, yeah, it it really was one of those more, you know, more gray stories, right?
2: Totally. So, the quick and dirty, on uh, that's not the right, I should say (laughs) the short version (laughs) of the i sorry story is that uh, he went out on a date with a girl, um, they headed off and they went back to his place. He made a move, she said no, he Paused and was like, that's fine. Two sec, you know, a couple minutes later made another move. She pushed him off. He's, you know, he waited a couple of minutes, went again. Yeah. She relented and gave him oral sex. Then she left in the cab and he texted her, Hey, thank you. I had a great time. And she wrote him back. I need you to know that you really d- made me feel very badly just so you don't do this to other people. Um, and then she went on to tell this entire story online and it yeah. takes on its own life then. But mm-hmm. I think the actual incident is so common. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Right. And the I, he thought it was fine and thought it was a good date and she went home crying. So I opened that chapter with almost the identical story of someone else who came to me and was like, you know, and I I got goosebumps listening to his version of the story. But this was some guy who this had happened to him in like either 2009 or 2011. I say in the book, it was a long time ago. But that incident, he had the same thing. Um, do you want to hear it? out yeah. Really quick. Yeah. Okay. So this was a guy uh, down in D.C. self-described as a late bloomer. Um, he had had a crush on a woman in his friend group. And so far they'd they'd just been platonic friends. It's new year's Eve and they're out partying ball drops. He, her, and another one of their male friends go back to his place to continue the party. Then it gets pretty late. I don't know. We'll say 4am. And the male friend is like, I'm going to split. And the girl, this is pre Uber era. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of like does the mental calculation she lives across town too late for public transport not so easy to call an Uber so she he's like well you can spend the night here and she's like really and he's like yeah Uh, and she's like great then I will so other guy leaves she spends the night she's like let me go change into my pajamas she goes and changes into her pajamas um, which I think are actually his right they're just boxers and a t-shirt and he gets into bed and is thinking like yes Mm -hmm. I've done it so she comes out she gets into bed with him he makes a move she's like whoa no no I like I genuinely thought you meant I could spend the night as friends he stops for a moment and he when he's telling me this story he's said like I'm not entirely sure of what I was thinking, I have to admit, because I was pretty inebriated, but I also know that the thought that went through my head is like, women always say no at first, so now I gotta go back. And he went back like double the force and aggressively tried to yank her panties off. Wow. She understandably gets really upset and jumps out of the bed and like slams the door and she sleeps um, on the couch. And he stays up all night thinking like, how did I get that so wrong? He told me, now I didn't talk to her, but he said that he the next morning went out and apologized to her and they talked about it and he was so grateful that she heard his apology because and now they're actually friends, according to him. Um but I got goosebumps hearing that story because I felt for her it is a violent story.
1: Oh, sounds terrifying.
2: But it is also so common, yeah. and I know that. Um, so with the Aziz Ansari situ- story, when that happened, that this will be the second time I say War shock in this interview <laughs> now. Um, that was truly the War shock test of, like um, incident for, for the Me Too movement I have found because you had a lot of people who I interviewed um, who said, when I asked them, what do you think about the Me Too movement? They were like, I was completely in favor for it, but then the Aziz Ansari story happened. And then I just said, we've gone too far. And everything since then has been too far. And that was because there was this feeling like there wasn't enough space in a single movement or conversation or time. We couldn't hold space for to take down the Harvey Weinsteins and also address the what had happened with Aziz Ansari.
0: I feel like, um, you know... In the in the midst of all the me too stuff Like I sometimes would have this like Holier than thou attitude Where I would just be like Why are all Like, like why are any dudes confused about this mm. Like it's not that complicated mm. Read the vibe dude mm. But like how stupid do you have to be mm. Um, mm. How socially inept do you have to be Not to be able to read vibes Right mm. um, On the other hand Like um, You know every single Hollywood movie until probably like ones that are coming out this year that have like (laughs) changed their ways in response to the me too movement. That's a rom-com basically follows the script of like, uh, of the coquettish woman, like saying no over and over, you know? And, and, and so that's so deeply ingrained that like, I don't know, like, can it be forgiven? You know, um, when, when a lot of these dudes are like, I really didn't know, man.
1: I remember when I was, maybe 14 or 15, um, a, a, my girlfriend at the time, m- like sort of exasperatedly complaining about me to her friends because I wasn't aggressive enough, you know? Yes. Um, which I always remember like, uh, this is just super embarrassing because I overheard her. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask how you... It was basically... That's how she communicated it to me was by oh. like speaking within earshot to... Um, she was like, I guess, giving me permission, but in a way that was embarrassing. Yeah. But it's like, uh, you know, so... It it kind of, it cuts in every possible way.
0: So like, you don't, you don't like, you know, rail off, um, you know, life hacks and like quick, quick answers to these dilemmas in your book. Yeah. You kind of just like raise the questions and like talk about how complicated all this is. But to put you on the spot, yeah, you're, you're, um, the woman in the room right now, um, like what advice would you give? a dude who feels confused about this kind of situation, like, like how to read, like what, what is like a, just like uh, a good way to read the vibe, um, while not like, you know, falling into the trap of like over caution to the point of like spoiling potentially fun romantic opportunities. Like, (laughs) what what would you say? What's the good way to read the vibe?
2: Well, so we talk about this in the book. Um, First of all, it's just important to understand the power dynamics that are always at play, right? I mean, most overly cautious good guys are aware of this, but it's Bears is repeating that we put everyone in this situation in a catch 22 where women are at once the gatekeepers of sex because we say that men want sex all the time right. and if they don't there's something wrong with them and it's women's job to let them know whether yes you can pass or no you are declined and then we also tell women and men that women who say yes too easily are sluts right. so we're fucked. Like it's so, and I think it's helpful to say that so that it's, it kind of, it's important to air this, right? Like we are raised in a really unhealthy way. And so you're not alone. If you find this confusing, mm-hmm. of course you fucking do. Yeah. So, ugh, yeah. okay. Take a load off now. Um, if it's your first encounter, I, I, people are not going to like this, but like go verbal because Mm -hmm. when you are with someone for longer, you can use signs of nonverbal consent, which I will tell you about quite sexy actually. Uh Um, but in the beginning, like play it safe. And I think that, um, you know, we talk about this in the book. It's honestly, if you're a guy and you are not quite sure you're, you're reading the vibes, right. A woman will probably find this quite like charming. If you say, "Listen, with everything, like I am really into you, um, and I would like to do X, Y, and Z, but I just want to make sure that's something you're interested in," and when and then you can do it. Right. And if she says no, don't be a fucking dick about it. Like, mm-hmm. don't wait two seconds later and then do it. Like, take her no as like not right now. Okay. No. Yeah.
0: Um, What about the second, the second, because you you set it up as the first encounter. So what about the second one? Well,
2: yeah, this, so this doesn't come from me by the way. And also Uh like, it's very important to say like modern manhood is, has very little of me in it. It is all interviews that I did with men and women and non-binary people around the, country but I I blushed when I heard this way of okay so it comes from a guy named Dominic Cortuccio who works with men and because he's gotten this question a lot so he says um one thing he's noticed with men right and he is a man but you're so in your head because you have been raised like you need to lead the way you need to know what she wants and also what she wants isn't that important like you need to get what you want Mm -hmm. which kind of puts it like frames hookups like in this kind of adversarial way like you need to take something from someone so first he recommends slow down make eye contact which is very intimate we never make eye contact when we're hooking up usually Mm -hmm. it's like heads all over the place right Mm -hmm. so make eye contact and say you're already at second base right and you Mm -hmm. want to go to third Put your hand on her thigh. Look directly in her eyes and say, are you ready for this? Is this something you want? Mm -hmm. And look at her and like do it with a smile Mm -hmm. and genuinely feel in yourself that it is okay if she says no, but make that, move and like give her a little I'm it's unfortunate no one can see my face because I'm trying <laughs> right. to get the sex. Well, well in the book
0: you like you describe like or he describes it as like do it with like like a lustful smile, right? Yeah. It's not or something like that, or an erotic smile. Like it's not just like um do it with like a sheepish smile. No, yeah. no. Like he's trying to do it in a sex sexy way.
2: Yeah. And it yeah. I'm trying to communicate <laughs> yeah. that yeah, yeah, yeah. not well on audio. But yeah, <laughs> that in a in a way that um is sexy and it's okay if you're awkward and uncomfortable, but like really lean into that. Um, and I, and I, you know, communication, like we say that and it just sounds so bland that people's eyes glaze over. But if you engage in communication with the same kind of like lusty attention that you do with hand jobs or (laughs) blow jobs, like you, your sex life will be better.
0: I feel like there, there's, um, just like this ridiculous binary that probably a lot of, uh, men imagine that either, either if they ask for permission, they're doing it in the most like nerdy, awkward, (laughs) totally, you know, de-sexed way possible. Like, is it okay if I do Or, or they're like the guy in the, uh, in that famous photo, which like, like, um, you know, is, is arguably like the most iconic photo, of like a kiss in our culture, mm-hmm. which is like the guy coming mm-hmm. back from world yeah, war two yeah, yeah. and like kissing the woman. Mm-hmm. And I think I read like a few years ago, they contacted that woman. She was like, by the way, that was not consensual. Yes, and yes. I was not down for that. He yeah. just grabbed me and kissed me. And yeah. I was like, what the fuck? I know it so, ruins so. that whole <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I honestly think it's photos like that, that, um, and of course, like in every Hollywood movie, it's just like they plunge in for like a violent kiss before, you know, yeah. and, and we never ever, you know, have any kind of verbal prelude
1: to that at all. But
0: anyway, like Let's get, let's get to the advice
1: question. Yeah. yeah. So we have a a question for you and, um, well, we'll see what gray areas it touches on. Hey man, I'm writing to you for some practical advice about an issue that's come up between me and my girlfriend. I'm 28 years old, work in marketing in New York city, and have been dating the same woman for the last two years. Overall, our relationship has been great and we're planning on moving in together in the spring when her lease expires. Over the course of our relationship, there've been a few isolated moments where the same issue has come up. I get really drunk, like blackout or pretty close. And I find out in the morning that I've said some really mean things Mm. to her. I don't remember saying any of these things and they're not things that I really believe. For example, I might say things like you're such a fucking pushover. You let everyone walk all over you or I know you're only with me because I make more money. It's Mm. horrible and hurtful and not true. I think it's important to add as a kid, I always had a reputation for being angry and out of control. I've worked really hard to temper that as I got older So it's really bothering me to hear myself described this way. I don't think I have a drinking problem because this really just happens maybe once every three months max. Mm. We're laughing because you might have a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. Usually after something like this happens, I cut back for a while, slowly start drinking again, and then eventually drink too much. My entire social life revolves around drinking. And so on a weekend, it's not uncommon for all of us, my girlfriend included, to be hanging out drinking for the better part of an afternoon or until late at night. I play in a lot of recreational sports leagues, and usually we all get together to drink after a game. I have a high tolerance, and it's hard for me to notice when I'm getting drunk. All of a sudden, it's too late. My girlfriend is telling me that if this doesn't stop, she'll break up with me, which Mm -hmm. would devastate me. Mm -hmm. But I'm also worried that if I stop drinking or drink less, it'll be weird in my social circle, since so much of our hanging out has to do with drinking, playing drinking games and stuff. What should I do? Signed, Blacked Out in Bushwick. Oh, Blacked
2: Out in Bushwick. I I got this exact quandary yeah. recently about um three m- weeks ago okay. from s- someone in Austin mm-hmm. said the same exact thing wow. and then they were like I just read your book mm-hmm. and and I do that same exact thing mm-hmm. um, and I will say okay the people ask me what the most surprising takeaway was from Modern Manhood mm-hmm. and I will say that. I was heartbroken to find out how much rage and pain mm. and isolation yeah. is out there with men.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I had no idea. Mm. And we talk about why that is for men in particular. Um, we know that, you know, at a very young age, girls and boys have friendships and express themselves very similarly. Yeah. Um, and then when boys are so young, they start getting policed very early. Don't hug your friend. Don't kiss your friend. Mm-hmm. Don't you, stop crying. Mm-hmm. You don't need anyone. You, yeah. You're a boy. Don't be a girl. Right. Mm-hmm. So we know that. And then that's just like, so I talked to one researcher, Naomi way. She's yeah. been working, you know, Yeah. her, yeah, I know her work, yeah. um, And then she does this, not an experiment, but she she checks in with incoming freshmen and will be like, they're all boys. Um, Who's your best friend? And they can point to their best friend immediately. She asks them, what do you guys talk about? We talk about everything, like family, like everything, like what's in my head, sports, all this stuff. Then she checks in with them once a year as they move through high school. And by the time they are graduating, that best friend who they told everything to, he's just a bud. He's like a pal. And what do they actually talk about? Really surface level stuff, not mm-hmm. the divorce, not the really intimate stuff that's going on with their mental health. So I think of this because I hear this story and I feel for this guy. Yeah. Um, and clearly, you know, if you were well known in your youth for having a lot of rage and you've done a lot of work, um, to work on that, I'm. That's fantastic, right? We don't. He, a lot of people don't work on that.
1: I, I'm curious what kind of work he might have that's, done. V- I'm yeah.
2: very curious what, and because you're still angry.
1: Yeah, and 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 I, I just because. a lot of guys that I know the work they've done is like build like the best fucking brick wall you could ever build, you know? And like, I guess that that is a lot of work. Um, but, um, but yeah, there's like a lot of feeling suppressed inside. What do you mean
0: by build the biggest brick wall?
1: I, I mean like, um, just like men in particular are just masters at suppression and avoidance. And so, um, it's really fine tuning their skills at numbing themselves, alcohol of which is, is a great way to numb yourself from your feelings or disconnect. Um, I just think men have, have so, have a wide range of tools, um, to avoid feeling their feelings. Mm. Just
0: to, just to, um, play devil's advocate though. Don't you think a lot of men drink, So that they can feel their feelings because so often they, they, you know, it is consciously, they feel utterly repressed. I think it's, it's two
1: things. It's two things that like, sort of make, um, you have to have two things at the same time. You have to feel your feelings and you have to do it in the context of a relationship, right? I think feelings are really, they're, they're a social phenomenon. So, um, when you're drunk, and you spill your guts, but you don't remember it, and your friend doesn't either, and you can just be like, oh, yeah, that was crazy last night. Then it didn't really happen, you know what I mean? Um, so I don't think that's like, I wouldn't say that's like the sign of like a, a healthy uh, emotional life, you know? Also,
0: I mean, it's the, that was crazy last night. I totally forgot. Probably in 90% of the cases, they didn't forget. Yeah. But they're pretending that exactly. they forgot, so that they don't permission. have to process it the yeah. next day with their yeah. friend. And actually, it was funny because the animating um, uh, question uh, that, we started with when we started our very first episode of this podcast is like, how can guys hang out without getting drunk and watching sports? Oh, yes. um, and even us, you know, <laughs> who are masquerading as like a good dude, enlightened dudes, <laughs> yeah. we basically every time we hung out would hang out under the pretext of watching basketball while drinking beer yeah. so not looking at each other having voices talking in the in the yeah. background having men running around throwing balls so we don't have to and then like in that context we could maybe talk about some emotional stuff but but it wouldn't be like hey Av, want to get a tea and uh <laughs> and talk about the problems i've been having in my marriage <laughs> <laughs>
2: Listen, Okay, so a friend of my father has been sick and some a friend who I've just lost touch with over the past three years reached out to me over Instagram and was like, my father was just in the hospital. I saw that your father was sick. It's been a long time. Do you want to catch up over tea? It's, you know, we've got a lot going on Mm -hmm. and that I was (laughs) laughing to myself because I'm coming off of researching, spending so much time talking with men that, and that would never happen, right? Like never. Oh, you're in pain. I'm in pain. Shall we get together and heal our pain together? Right. And the
0: only way it would happen would do is be like, you want to go lift some weight together? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Like totally. And then the music would be, so yeah, I... Um, there's, there are reasons that this is, it's because men are told Mm -hmm. that if they open up emotionally, they're weak and they're like women. So it's understandable that, um, this guy is writing in having suppressed all of these feelings, but what from a clinician's perspective, um, I mean, obviously you would
0: think he should therapy you right? should talk to someone yeah, yeah i mean I not every question we get this
1: is probably one of the only questions where i'm like yeah exactly. you should talk to someone I
0: mean, well no i think there have been i there would been say i would say about a third i'm like oh, it would be a good idea for you to go yeah. to therapy this guy definitely yes like i just feel like rage issues um which you know by the way like i've struggled with rage issues in my life mm-hmm. like i think it's very common among yeah. among men but like rage especially if you're pouring it out on uh your your partner is a good, is a good, uh, thing to prompt it's, getting some help. It certainly <laughs> is.
1: And to me, the other piece that stands out is it's not just the rage. It's that there's all this stuff that feels sort of unconscious to him, right? It's like all these things that he's saying, but that he doesn't really mm-hmm. like consciously mm-hmm. agree with. Like that to me was mm-hmm. like, I was like, Oh, that'd be a good thing to make sense of in therapy because mm-hmm. that's a space where you can like kind of get deeper into things that maybe you, are not comfortable acknowledging. That's, that's one thing. And then the other piece about like, just for, for this guy blacked out in Bushwick, like about whether you have a drinking problem or not. I don't think it really, I mean, you know, like some of the criteria for like, you know, alcoholism is about like how it impacts your life. It's not just about how much you drink. It does sound like you drink a lot by the way, but, um, (laughs) but more than that, like this is having a major effect on your life. And in that way, of course it's a problem. Um,
0: Cleo has a whole. Chapter about men's kind of resistance to therapy. I realized, Avi, we've (laughs) we've never actually you or rather you have never actually Mm -hmm. like explicitly talked about like what is the point of therapy? Like, why should yes a man go to therapy? What what can a man get out of therapy? Yes,
1: (laughs) I mean, like, I think on a very simple level. Therapy is like a is not so different from meditation, but like with a it, it's in the context of a relationship. It's a space to be with yourself, to hear your thoughts. Sometimes hearing them repeated back from someone else or hearing them sort of elaborated by someone else changes them for you, changes how you think about them. Help, makes it more explicit. Someone who's a professional listener can identify the themes so that you can start to understand. The, your core issues. What may, you know, what do you keep coming back to? What, what, um, what are you preoccupied with? How, what are the ways that you keep solving problems? We can't always identify those things on our own. I know I can't, and it's only in dialogue that it makes sense to me. So that's, that's one part of therapy. I think the safety of it and that it's, um, it's not a relationship that you have to worry about damaging, you know, um, in the same way like friendship or, or family or, um, or your spouse that like it, you know, it allows you to be really authentically you and, and unfettered and you can in, in that way really get to know yourself. so You can say probably, like
0: the ugliest thoughts you, possibly you can, you can have. try it out. You can yeah. see how
1: that feels to say it. And yeah. does it feel true or not? Um, so I think those are two things. And then, I mean, for me, you know, one of the things I really prioritize as a therapist is helping men really get in touch with their feelings because it is so hard for them to do mm. that. And so they need, I think it's very healing and good for you to be able to feel your feelings. You, when you feel your feelings, you can move through the world better. Mm. And, and I think therapy is like uniquely positioned to help men do that.
0: I mean, it, it just, and just something that, that I would add, and I'm curious to hear both of your thoughts on this. Like, um, I talk a lot about meditation on this podcast cause I practice it. Um, I've also been in therapy. I'm not currently in therapy. So I, but I know I was in it for a while, and I know a lot about what it's like. And um, you know, if you listen to the Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss type podcast, they're totally open-minded and pro meditation, but you don't hear them talking about like therapy very much. Again, I think um, it's the relationship <clears throat> piece. And, yeah, and I think I, I think that's what I was going to say. I think like the key difference is um, uh, meditation can easily be slip into like a kind of stoicism mm-hmm. thing where you're just like, I do it all by myself, bro. You know? And, um, and it's actually, I, I feel like for a lot of men who are afraid of therapy, just the scariest thing is, um, asking another human being for help and receiving their help feels like an assault on one's manhood. So that it seems like that's actually like, it's a good, it's a good reason, particularly for men To go to therapy, you know, again, I'm very pro-meditation, but go to therapy in addition to doing meditation. Don't, don't, don't like block yourself off from therapy because, yeah, challenging yourself to open up to another human being is really important when you're conditioned your whole life never to do that except for with your wife, but in limited doses. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, your women in relationships would greatly be
1: like appreciate yes, men appreciate
2: if- men going to therapy because yeah. then they don't have to bear that brunt. And one thing we also talk about in the book is reframing therapy, like it. W- the way so psychoanalysis mm-hmm. was original. I mean, you know this, but um, yeah. in its original formation, was pitched as like something that you only did if you were like fucked up yeah. and for women who were hysterical Yeah. Um, so we get this notion that if you go to therapy you're fucked up and it's also a woman's thing um, and I talked to a therapist who I really liked the way that she kind of frames her counseling she doesn't even call it therapy mm-hmm. um, she calls it self inquiry mm. and likes to remind she has a lot of male clients patients um, that the practice of self inquiry is like Actually, very manly in in history. If you look at like Socrates and all the Greek philosophers who thought about what is the meaning of life, what am I doing here? That sort of practice of self inquiry, um, the greatest minds have done that, right? And so, going to therapy. And I would say this for this guy because I'm sure he's going to hate this advice. Like, (laughs) oh, fuck off! I don't need to go to therapy. But not because you're messed up, but because you want to take agency like you have agency over your own life and you want to really like live the best life you can this is one way that will really help you do that
0: it was um so I do listen to to those bro podcasts like Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss and, and, and Jocko Willink. I can't and, even
2: tell you how many times people talked about Joe Rogan and Tim <laughs> Fer- Ferriss. I need to get on their podcast <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. The yeah.
0: If you get on there, <laughs> yeah, your, your yeah. book will sell millions yeah. of copies. Yeah. But no, but Joe, I mean, um, you know, I, I listen both as research for this podcast and as a guilty pleasure because, I, you know, there is just something, even though I disagree with like, most of what Joe Rogan says, like there's just something oddly comforting about listening to that show because he doesn't really challenge any of my like, um, sort of caveman assumptions about manhood. Mm-hmm. Like he he's just like, you're fine how you are. And there's something comforting in that, even though roll I, out your so Yeah, exactly. I don't, yeah, exactly. don't want to just live in that zone, but, yeah. but, uh, but Jocko Willink, who's a, who's a retired Navy seal jujitsu master, like the scariest looking guy in the world. He has, he has a podcast and it was funny. <laughs> Recently he said on the podcast, he was like, you know, I had uh I had this psychologist on the psychologist, by the way, which Jordan Peterson it was horrible, <laughs> but he was like, I had this psychologist on my show, and uh, you know, he he made me rethink like therapy. He just said, like, imagine like it's like a mechanic. Like you go to the mechanic when your car is messed up and they fix your car, but this is like a mechanic. For your head. If your head's messed up, you just go to the mechanic and they fix it. And like, (laughs) then I really got it. And so I'm pro therapy now. Like, if if you're depressed out there, like, go to therapy. It's fine. But, but yeah, it just speaks (laughs) to the fact that like maybe there's just like a branding. I mean, even it's a
2: branding. I'm telling you.
0: Even, even Avi used to introduce himself as a psychotherapist on the show. And I, and I just said to him, I'm like, I think people would be more open to to listening if, if you just say therapist <laughs> even than psychotherapist because yeah, they yeah. might be weirded out by like the, the word vibes. psycho. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. No, but yeah, the word psycho, like honestly, I think a lot of men are like, am I a psycho? If I go to a psychotherapist,
1: you know, well, it's, it can be very relieving when you go the first time and they tell you, you're not, you know, (laughs) (laughs) imagine that. Um, anymore. Okay.
0: What if, what if this
1: guy, um,
0: if what if this guy is like most dudes just like, nah, bro, I'm good. I'm not going to therapy.
1: What, 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 could, what advice can we offer him well, in like, lieu of therapy? He's got, he's got these two first before he goes there. I, I mean, it's like you have these two impulses. One is I don't have a problem. And the other is you're like, well, your girlfriend is very upset and that's upsetting to you. And I commend you for caring about the relationship enough to think about this because even though you don't think it's a problem, you care enough about your girlfriend and want her to be happy. Um, what else could he do? I mean, the, clearly he has less access to his rage when he's not so- drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sobriety sounds like, uh, something to contemplate, you know?
0: And, and, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about like, um, the sobriety versus harm reduction or whatever. What do yeah. you call yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Is it harm reduction? Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if this guy maybe needs to go more into the sobriety Sobriety camp because he's tried he's tried to chill out and then and then it doesn't really work for very long
1: um what about though (laughs) maybe you can speak to the same because i feel like you have personal experience with it like it's so hard to go like he he said like all of his friends Mm -hmm. drink Mm -hmm. all of the social activities Mm -hmm. around drinking like you can't just be drinking like club sodas can you uh when like everyone's doing like beer (laughs) pong what do you do
0: yeah i mean so So when, when I decided to cut back on drinking, I mean, for, for like six months I was club soda guy. And by the way, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. I mean uh and and if you really need to you can supplement with something like cbd which will give you some slightly (laughs) chill vibes when you go to the bar and nurse your cranberry juice but but um but a it's not it's not nearly as bad as you think it would be like it turns out that when you're socializing with people and by the way drunk people are easy to socialize because they laugh at everything you say like but it turns out that when you socialize um like after about 10 minutes, you're pretty relaxed and like, it's not awkward and you're just having a normal fucking conversation. Like it's not that hard to, yeah. to, 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 not be drunk. I also, um, I but, feel like a lot of
1: people do, at least I, when I find out that someone isn't drinking, I kind of respect them. I'm like, oh, okay, good for you. Like I'm not weirded out right. or uncomfortable, by it. And
0: I think, and I think that's actually often the case and the, and the fear of not drinking, a lot of it has to do with like, oh, are people going to like, like be, um annoyed at me, like I let them down by like not being their bro because I'm like I'm 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 not downing a beer with them. Are they gonna think that like I'm I'm above them, blah blah blah. And rarely do they. But but having said all that, like after a while, like I decided, all right, you know what? I, I I've I've got like a good streak going. I feel like you know back in control of my life uh to the extent that like I'm not worried about like getting carried away with drinking anymore. But like, I know that like, it's something I like to do a lot. So let me just like set some rule around it. So my rule is like, um, which occasionally I drink, uh, I break, as you know, from our notorious night of nachos (laughs) and beer, uh, is, um, is that I, is that I don't drink during the week and I allow myself to do it on the weekend. Mm -hmm. And, um you know, and, and that's something, that's something for him to try, I guess. I don't think that's for this guy. Maybe I think that, that's maybe, maybe that's for someone
1: it. else. I, I don't know. I got a strong I mean, vibe. For this, <laughs> right. I mean, also,
0: I, I don't, I did not have the kind of drink. I, first of all,
1: like this is playing for, with fire. For, people, yeah, who, for yeah. people who
0: have serious alcohol problems, they would like utterly roll my, their eyes at what, what I was going. I just had like a dependency of like having a couple drinks a million days in a row, <laughs> but, but, but. You know like this guy drinks a a lot and to the point where he's saying crazy ass shit that he like utterly regrets yeah and i i I didn't have that kind of issue i think if you're drinking like huge amounts maybe the goal should instead be like um like cutting it off after three or even after two Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean he probably needs three because two would be like drinking tea for him (laughs) right right (laughs) But but yeah, like really, really saying like I'm not gonna take away this thing that brings me a lot of pleasure and fun with my friends, but like I'm I'm determined to change my life enough that I'm cutting it off at three. Maybe that would work. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I'm not an addiction expert though. I feel like I actually feel like a phony even like giving this kind of advice. Like what do I know? I, I know something I that it's worked very for practical. me. But, yeah, yeah,
1: I think a lot of people do what you did. Do you have any thoughts about that?
2: I know that. Um if I'm going to be drinking with friends for a long time, I I don't tend to get rageful when I'm drunk. But if I, I'm 33, like I don't really want to do that anymore anyway. Mm-hmm. So I I go every other, right? Like I'll do like a drink. Yeah. Then I do club soda. Then yeah. a drink, club soda. You cut your alcohol intake in half. Yeah. And I would also say to this guy that his, the th- what his girlfriend remembers him saying, I would write those things down. Yeah. And um, I don't really know many men who journal. So like. <laughs> weren't know. we
1: just talking about that? Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. Lot I don't of really.
2: Things. I don't. You know, although the artist way. Anyway. Um, But like I would write that down on like just an email you drafted to yourself and just kind of like that first comment of you think that she's such a pushover and that she lets everyone walk all over her. I would write down what your reaction is to that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the one about her being with you for money because Those there's are something very there. very loaded statements, yeah. There's something there. So um, drink less. Yes. <laughs> Please consider therapy. Yeah. And write down these thoughts. And also maybe like, I don't know, you have a friend who you can, this one thing that we talked about in the book, right, is like I got a lot of guys who were like, so I've got this friend who like always says this shit and like, mm-hmm. we've all got that friend who yeah. says some shit. Right. And you know, it used to be okay, but it feels like with everything going on right now, like you sh- got to call your friend out for saying shit like that. Right. So then the real question is like, why do guys do locker room talk? And it's because as we said, right, like men are told like, do not talk intimately with each other. That's a ladies' thing. Yeah. So, um, the advice that ends up coming up from the people that I interviewed, at least, was like, don't call your friend out for locker room talk, but instead, like, think about what he's trying to do, which is like bond with you through the any only way that men of you guys have like three channels. It's like <laughs> sports, sex, and and beer and like alcohol and like commute to work or something, yeah. right?
0: Yeah.
2: Um. So like, instead, when your friend comes to you like that, you can just be like, yeah, I don't like, I really don't like it when you talk like that, but how is like how are things with karen how are things with your dad like just like get right to it yeah um so i would say to this guy i would i would make a play date with you with (laughs) one of your guy friends and be like do you ever have this rage thing like does this sound from because your friends might it's not the same as professional help right but opening up about this is
1: acknowledging it definitely helps you get somewhere for sure you know
0: by the way i do have just one other um life hack that worked from personal experience on the drinking thing that i have brought up before on the show but i think it's worth repeating um it's it's easier said than done just to be like dude just cut it off after three right because that's that's really hard to do especially once you're starting to feel
1: tips you're like oh this is really what Yeah, awesome Mm -hmm. right
0: right exactly um Yeah. I mean, you know, for like, you talk some uh, in your book about porn addicts, that's like being like, um, yeah, just load a lot of porn, but then Mm -hmm. like, just turn it off and walk away. It's not (laughs) that easy. Um, but, but I think, um, I think what one thing that worked for me as I was trying to cut the habit, um, was, uh, setting my alarm clock early because I knew, And, and, Mm. and I think, and and you have to set it early for something like sign up for an early morning exercise Mm. class or yoga class or, or sign, or, you know, you mentioned the artist way. I know that book. I did, I did that for a while. Like the artist way encourages you to wake up early in the morning and write three pages in, in your journal, but, but schedule something that you're actually kind of looking forward to doing early in the morning and you know, you will fuck yourself if you're if you're even slightly hung over and you just will not be able to get up or, or if you get up you're going to be waking up with like a splitting headache and you're like oh why did I do this? so it, it really incentivizes cooling out because you're looking forward to this early thing and yeah. you're not going to be able you're just not going to be able to
1: stick to I that mean, if you're, if you're drinking a lot of the things we're suggesting require like a fair Super amount of willpower. like, like yeah. impulse control and foresight and like Mm -hmm. like drinking (laughs) does not really go along with that. Which again
0: is why it would be nice if this guy could just go to therapy because therapy can, can give him some of, some of the uh, emotional release. He needs to build up that kind of resilience to give him more willpower. You know, it's kind of one of these chicken and egg things, but like actually an egg, the egg is therapy. I think (laughs) that made no sense, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we, we always wrap up the show just asking um, our guests for um, a piece of advice that they have read, heard, had told to them at one point in their life that um, has stuck with them and they come back to. So we're wondering what comes to mind for you.
2: This has nothing to do with the podcast. It's the that's only fine. thing that's coming to my yeah. mind. Okay, it's so personal. straight out of college, I worked at a biotech investment firm. Um, I thought that I wanted to take over Wall Street and be the next Zoe Cruz. Mm-hmm. And I worked there for several years. And then finally my boss, I was like slogging away there. And my boss took me aside and was like, you know, you're a hard worker, so you can like keep at this your whole life and like you'll get somewhere, but you're always gonna be swimming upstream. But you have a lot of really natural gifts, like why not do something that catered to those? And it was a really, at the time, like I was very offended but it was really great advice because i'm i come from a family where like hard work even to the point of suffering is held in very high self-esteem and sometimes if you are putting your head through a brick wall over and over again it's better to stop
1: <laughs> so that's <laughs> that good is very good advice yeah, yeah. Um, where can people find you and find your tell tell everyone your book again one more time.
2: Great. It's called Modern Manhood: Conversations About the Complicated World of Being a Good Man Today.
1: Currently number 1 in on Amazon's Amazon gender D- for men yeah. category, is that right? <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, so help help me pay the rent. Uh-huh. Um, and you can find me on my website cleosteller.net and anywhere on social media cleosteller.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. All right, that's it for our show this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have a question that you want some advice on, please email us at heymanpod at gmail.com, or better yet, give us a call, 917-426-4326, and leave us a voicemail. All questions, if they make it on the show, are anonymous. No need to worry. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at heymanpod, and if you have a moment give us a review apple podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts and better yet click subscribe thanks so much have a great week peace